0: Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus made the statement. After they uh, put him on the cross, finished everything they were going to do to him, then they put the the vinegar on the hyssop, put it on his lips, and at that point he said, it is finished. So what he was saying, we think, at least we, we look at it, we give it a consideration, think, well, was he saying that it is finished, I've completely fulfilled all the Old Testament prophets? That's one application. Another is that he he said it was finished, what he came to do. He came to accomplish something. His father sent him for a purpose. God had a purpose for his son. And Jesus said that his purpose was that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So when he said, it is finished, did he say that I've done what I came to do? What God sent me to do? Now he knew when he came to this earth that he had something that his father wanted him to do. He had a purpose. He had a goal. He had a design. And when he was very young, if you remember in Luke chapter 2, his parents took him to the city of Jerusalem to uh, observe a feast. And uh, when they left and went home, he wasn't with them. They traveled two days before they realized that he was missing they had to go back to find him and they found him in the temple uh, talking to the elders and priests and so forth the, the scribes and lawyers about the law and when they, when they his parents found him they, they confronted him said that they had been worried and he said don't you know that I must be about my father's business mm-hmm. he said I came to do something He came to accomplish a a feat, a fiat. Now he recognized when he got here, he recognized that that he had been sent specifically by his father. In the book of Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, he had come to the city of Nazareth, and it says, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue, and there they read the law, and they discussed it and so forth. And at a certain time, one, the one who chaired the meeting, who, who was the president of the synagogue at that time, he gave him the roll of Isaiah chapter 61 and asked him to read. And when Jesus read it, here's what he, what he said. Now, I want you to pay particular attention to what he's saying. Because he's not saying what we sometimes think he's saying. He's saying something else. Maybe he's saying several things. The one thing I want to point out is this. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now that's what I want to emphasize. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach the deliverance of the captives, and recovering of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now what he's saying specifically is, that this text in Isaiah 61, is referring to him specifically. Not what he was doing necessarily, but who he was. Now when we decide that we're going to obey the Lord, when we're going to give our life to God, you know what we do? We make a confession. What we confess is, not all the things that Jesus did, but what we confess is who he is, right? We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what we're confessing, who he is. And when we're baptized, we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we wear the name of Jesus the Christ. When, when Jesus took his, Peter, James, and John on the mountain and he was transfigured before them, he was identified standing apart from Abraham and Moses, or Isaiah, uh, not Isaiah, Elijah and Moses. I get it. He was identified as being the Christ. This, he said, God said, from a voice from heaven, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. When Jesus was baptized by John, you know what happened? The heavens opened, and a voice came from heaven that said, This is my beloved son. What we're saying is that Jesus is being identified as to who he is. Who he is? He said. I am the one that the Father sent. In the book of John, chapter 5, verse 36, he was in a controversy, sort of, with individuals who were questioning not what he did. And I think, you Bible students, when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you're reading about all the things that Jesus did, keep this in mind, that the controversies that they were confronted with was not what he was doing, but who was doing them? That's what they were questioning. Who are you to be doing these things? Remember he healed the blind man? John chapter 9? he been blind from his mother's birth, from the time he was born. And he healed him, gave him his sight back, and you know what they asked? The questions they asked? They didn't say, Are you can you see now? They didn't say, Wow, that's wonderful. They said, Who did this? Who did this? And then if the parents said, well, they, if they had confessed who it was, that they'd have been put out of the synagogue. Who did this to you? So, when Jesus was in controversy with individuals, he reverted back to the fact that he was the one that God had sent. I'm the one that the Father sent. John 5, verse 36, he said, I have greater witnesses than that of John. Now, John is the one that pointed him out. You remember he said, there's one standing among you whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, or whose latches I'm not worthy to unloose. He said, there's one here. He said, I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm not the one mentioned in Isaiah, or in uh, Genesis, Exodus chapter, or Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, that there was coming a prophet, like unto me Moses said. He said, I'm not that one. He said, but he said, I'm pointing out who he is. I have come to prepare His way. So they were looking for someone, and the who they were looking for was Jesus of Nazareth. And He said at this, as I was reading in John chapter 5, verse 36, He said, I have greater witnesses than that of John, for the works which the Father has given Me to finish, the same works I do, bear witness of Me that the Father has sent Me. I What He's saying is, I am who... The Father sent. I'm the one. I'm Him. And in His his prayer in John chapter 17, the only recorded prayer we have of Jesus in the New Testament, He makes the statement seven times that the Father sent me. I'm the one the Father sent me. He set about to accomplish what God his father sent him to do. And he ran into a lot of obstacles along the way, didn't he? He had a purpose. He had a goal. And he had something he was supposed to do. And yet there were obstacles thrown up all the time for him. Roadblocks. The first one that was thrown up was, was by the devil himself. He took him upon a high mountain. And he said, If you are who you think you are, who you say you are, isn't that what he's saying? If you are the Son of God, turn these rocks, these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down off the temple. If you are the Son of God, fall down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms. If you are who you say you are. The question was, who are you? And what Jesus is doing is, is facing his enemies and the roadblocks and he's not letting them keep him from his purpose. He's continuing on. The Jewish cult leaders of his day never questioned, as I said before. They didn't question what he did. They didn't say, well, it didn't work. You said you were going to heal this lame man, pick up your couch and go home, but he didn't do it. They never, they never questioned that. What they questioned was, who are you doing this? That was the question, wasn't it? Who are you? And when he was uh, healing on the Sabbath day, they questioned the fact that he should be doing that. And Jesus said, The Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. That was his answer to them in Matthew chapter 12. I will be at verse 8. He fraternized with publicans and sinners. They didn't like that. They criticized him. What I'm saying is, he faced constant criticism what he was doing but he forged ahead it didn't stop him he was criticized over and over and over questioned over and over and over but he continued to forge ahead he didn't observe the uh, traditions that were handed down by the elders he was questioned whether or not he was loyal to Caesar he was questioned about his position on marriage, divorce, and remarriage all these things questioned him and his critics were constantly badgering him. But it didn't deter him from going ahead with what the Father sent him to do. It didn't stop him. He was bombarded with, with the discouraging and disheartening behavior, even among those who claimed to be his friends and his followers. His own people... His own family. When he was first introduced to his family, his his extended family, his community, his relatives. John 1 verse 11 says, He came to his own. And what happened? His own received him not. Now that's discouraging. That would be discouraging. But it didn't discourage Jesus. He was surrounded by people that didn't believe in him. Luke chapter 18 verse 8 says, When the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on earth? He didn't find much of it, did he? He healed a, a man's servant, a centurion's servant. And the account is found for us in Matthew chapter 8. The centurion sent some ambassadors from Israel, from the leaders of the synagogue. And they asked him to come and heal this man's servant because they said, he's built us a synagogue. He's helped us. So can you help him? And the centurion said, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word, my servant will be healed. And he was. And you know what Jesus' response was? He said, I haven't found this great faith in Israel. Among my people, I haven't found this kind of faith. Matthew chapter 8 verse 10. After feeding two groups, 5,000 men plus women and children at one setting, 4,000 men plus women and children at another setting, after feeding these two groups, and the, the whole bunch apparently followed him around, hundreds of them followed him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee to make sure they got to where he was, and they sat down they said, they, they wanted some more manna and he taught them some hard things and you know what they did? they went home they turned around turned their back on Jesus and went home how discouraging would that be? and yet it didn't stop him it didn't keep him back John 6, 66 says his disciples many of his disciples went back and those that followed him daily for over three years, his disciples, the twelve, and others in that company, there as a matter of fact, we find a little later that there was at least 120 people following him at most of the time. And yet when he went to the cross, you know what happened? Not one person went with him. Not one. And we know the story of Peter. Jesus, as a ma- matter of fact, he said, Matthew chapter 26, 31, he said, All of you will be offended by me in this hour. Offend, offended means you'll stumble. You'll stumble over me. You won't follow me. And they didn't. They didn't stand with him. They didn't go with him. They didn't follow him. He struggled on the night of his betrayal. This, we always, I always wonder about this. I know that my Lord was a strong man. He had to be strong to face some of these disheartening events, didn't he? To face some of the criticism he was, giving, he was getting. He had to be a strong man. And when I, when I think about him going to the cross, I, I'm wondering what was, what was in his mind? What was going on? What was in his heart? Everybody was leaving him. People were abandoning him, turning away from him. They were discouraging him. They were trying to get him not to do what he was going to do. But you know why he continued on? Because of who he was. Because of who he was. He was the Son of God. And he went into the garden. In Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 45, I want to read this. He came out and went. This is the night he was betrayed. And as he was wont, he went to the, to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And it says, when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray you that you enter not into temptation. The word temptation simply means trying, to try. So he's saying, don't, don't get into a situation where you try God and see if he's going to do something for you. So Jesus was going into the garden of Gethsemane and he was going to pray. And he was going to pray himself that he entered not into temptation. It says, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now he did that three times. But listen to what he's saying. And what's going on? What's happening with him? He knows what he has to do. But he also knows who he is. He understands himself. And so he's saying, I have to do it. But it's going to be hard. And it, it says "It says that there appeared unto him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He arose up from prayer and, and was come to his disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow. Now, what's, he, what's going on? He knows what he has to do. But he also knows who he is and how he has to do it. What he's going to have to do is be turned away from his father because he's going to bear all the sins of humanity on himself. And his father's going to turn his face from him. His father's going to have to let him do it. Now, we've got mothers and fathers in this audience and you know that if your child is hurting you're not going to turn your face from them. You're not going to turn away. If you have them in your arms, you're not going to turn loose. But Jesus knew that His Father was going to have to turn Him loose. He's going to have to leave Him. And He knew how much that was going to hurt His Father. And He knew how much that was going to hurt Him. But He also knew several other things. He knew that because of who He was, it wasn't going to work what he getting ready to do if he failed, of being who he was. He was going to have to listen to everything they had to say to him, however ugly it was, and not think a bad thought about what was going on. He was going to have to take all the abuse that they could hand out and at the same time not have a feeling of bitterness and animosity and a feeling of wanting revenge against those who were so abusing him. He was going to be insulted, he was going to be humiliated, he was going to be betrayed by all of his friends, he was going to die alone on a barren hill under a stormy sky with no one around him, and he couldn't think a thought that was mean or ugly. He couldn't have a feeling that was bad and honory. He had to he had to go in genuineness of himself and take all of that without any repercussions or any, 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 any uh, feeling of being able to revenge himself on anyone. He had to take it. How did he do it? He did it because of who he was. I think about the angel coming and standing with him. It doesn't say the angel said a word. Sometimes when we're suffering and hurting, and when we're in deep agony, whether it's emotionally or mentally or physically, it doesn't help for someone to come along and begin to lecture us and tell us how we ought to feel, ought to feel better. Get up, get it, get strong. Don't worry about it. Sometimes what it, what's the best thing to do is a friend comes along, and just sits down with us, and is there. That's all. They're just there. Maybe they'll reach over and hold our hand, husband and wife, father and a child, mother and a child. Just being there. And it said, the angel came, and what did he do? He was there. He strengthened him. I doubt seriously if he said a word. I don't know, but I doubt if he did. It doesn't say that he did. And it says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto everyone that obeys him. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, He was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In other words, what Jesus was going to do would have been of no value whatsoever if He did not maintain who He was through the whole ordeal. If He ever abandoned the fact that He was the Son of God, who He was, in the image of His Father, the ambassador for peace, if you ever forgot that, it would have spoiled the whole thing. But he didn't. He stayed faithful all the way to the end. And when he finally ended up on the cross, he said, it is finished. Okay. I think everybody agrees with what I said. We agree with that. And what we need to agree with is, basically at this point, is that He is the pattern for every one of us in this area that we've, been, we've just been talking about. He's the pattern for every believer. He's the Son of God. He's their role model. He's the type of individual who is worthy of being our example, our exemplar. He reminds us of not only where we originated, but who we are intended to be. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21 says, For even whereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. So there's just three things I want to talk to you about in, in relation to what we've been saying. Number one, every one of us has a purpose. Every one of you have a purpose. Every, everybody that's ever born on this earth has a purpose. We are here individually and collectively. But individually, we're here by design, not by default. We're here because God has a use for us. He has a purpose for us. Whether or not we acknowledge that fact, it's irrelevant. It is true. Every human being is created in the image of God whether we want to think about it, whether we want to accept it, whether we want to even pay any attention to it at all, nevertheless, it's true. You have a purpose in God's mind. You're here for a purpose. Every individual who's ever been born on this earth has a purpose. Not every individual lives up to that purpose, but we are here for it. God will use us to His ends. And it's necessary, because we have a purpose, for us to set goals. We do that all the time, don't we? Now you say, well, what's what's God's purpose? What What use does He have of me? Now I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know. But God knows. And you may never know until you end your life and finish it up. And it may be a long life. It may be a short life. Whatever it may be, Your purpose will be fulfilled. Now, whether or not it's fulfilled practically and honorably and for any benefit depends on you. How you live that life. Not what you accomplish necessarily, but who you are and how you live your life. Just like Jesus. He did everything He did, but it became valuable when He died on the cross because who He was. Not necessarily what happened. Hundreds of people died on the crosses. And and hundreds of men died bravely on crosses. Whether for their good deeds or bad deeds. They died. Some died nobly and some died honorably and some died bravely. But no one died like Jesus because of who He was when He died on the cross. Who He was. And who he was, we can read about in the New Testament. It's necessary, as I was going to say, that we set goals in our lives. We, we shouldn't just be muddling along with no sense of direction. We should know where we're going and how we're going to get there. Now, we think of goals as things that we wish to accomplish with our lives and how we want to end up at the close of our lives. And some of us are closer than others ending up. These goals include uh, where we want to live, who we want to live around, what sort of friends we have, what sort of achievements we we reach, what, whether or not we, we uh, are able to accomplish something in our lives, whether we get the proper education that we want, what sort of... Uh, family that we want to build ourselves. Most of our goals are lofty and grand. We even have people tell us, well, you can become the President of the United States if you want to. We hear that all the time. Sort of like an incentive program. But the point is, we we, we have goals. And, and those goals are sometimes reachable and sometimes not. But we do think big. But whatever we choose to accomplish in our lives, we want to make sure and ensure that we know who we are while we're chasing those goals. Who are we? You know, this this isn't a new thought for humanity. Aristotle, a long time ago, before B.C. and A.C., before Christ and after Christ, in that early dawn of civilization, Aristotle said, Know yourself. This is the beginning of understanding, beginning of wisdom. Know yourself. So whatever goal you're going to chase, if you want to go to the moon, at least go there as the type of person you ought to be, who you are. So it doesn't make any difference what we accomplish in this life or what we choose to accomplish. It should be achieved through honest and legitimate means. Without good character, the greatest of our accomplishments are empty. If you're not a good person, whatever you do is not worth doing if you end up having to cheat to get it. Good character is who we are. It involves honesty, being an honest person. Good grades mean nothing if you don't get them honestly good marks among other citizens are, are, don't help if you get them by cheating, honesty, integrity, moral fiber, high ethical standards, humility, reliability, fairness of mind, decency, pure intentions. All of these factor into whether or not it's even valuable what we accomplish, the goals we're looking for. So. We have a purpose, and God has intended for us to to, to accomplish a purpose. We're not really sure what it is. But we know that He wants us to be the type of person that we should be when we accomplish what we're going to accomplish. The fact that Jesus maintained His good character and His high standards allowed Him to meet His goal. So that's the first point. If we have the good character and the good qualities, that we need when we meet our goals that we can be satisfied that we have accomplished what God has intended for us to do, irrespective of what it is. The second is that every noble and pure pursuit is worth the price. Whatever you go after to do, if it's noble and pure, it's worth doing. The endeavor is difficult and the cost is high, but the prize is worth the toil and worth the effort and the sacrifice. That's what Paul said. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, I want to be, I want the prize of being the type of person that my Lord was. Okay. Okay. I want to be a scientist. Good, be a scientist. But be a good-hearted, decent, honest, dependable scientist. Be a believer in God. Be pure. Have integrity. Have decency. Have honesty. Have humility. Have all those characteristics that make you the type of person that can do good things on this earth. Stay out of the mental mental and, and moral quagmire of our society deterioration. We're deteriorating as a society. As a society. Our morals are going, going down the drain. There's a lack of decency and, de- and there's a steady decline in total hedonism. Just do what you want to do if it feels good. Now that's, that's a de- detriment to our character. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. This is one I think about often when I think about going back and quitting and not following through and not becoming who we should be. It says, It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed who are wallowing in the mire. So instead of pursuing a noble and pure and good goal along the terms of having the good character to go with it, we turn back and we compromise. We decide, well, we can can achieve our goals without having to work hard to get them. We can achieve our goals without having to be the type of person that we should be. Well... That means that that if we're looking for our goals and and achieving our goals in a different way, it's because we've we've chosen the broad way and the open gate. But Jesus said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. So if you're going for a goal, you're going to be a medical doctor. You shouldn't cheat. You shouldn't... You shouldn't... You shouldn't... uh, minimize your efforts in what you're trying to do you shouldn't blame others for your losses and your lacks and so forth you should make sure that you're on the narrow way the straight way you've gone through the right gate and you're doing it right you're not just doing it and accomplishing it you're doing it right you're do- doing it with integrity and that's what jesus did when jesus healed people he healed people but he didn't take shortcuts He didn't take advantage of people's ignorance. He did the right thing with the right motive and the right attitude of heart. Be honest. Be honest at home. Be honest with your mate. Be honest with your children. Be honest with your family. Be honest. Tell the truth. Don't cheat. Don't cheat at play. Don't cheat at your games. Be sure that you are the type of person that has integrity with what you're doing. Don't take the easy way. A victory, even when you're playing a game, a victory is marred by underhanded and dishonest tactics. Don't you see? You can gain things in this world. You can do things, and God wants you to do things. He wants you to accomplish things. He wants you to be a winner at whatever you're going to do, but He doesn't want you to cheat to get there. He doesn't want you to be honest in order to gain the prize. He wants you to be awarded for what you have accomplished because you did it in a noble and excellent way. Prizes won by dishonesty are stained. They're stained. And when we stoop down and want to live and walk in the gutter because it's easier not to brace our society with what they're doing if we, if we want to walk in the gutter with the world because we don't want the criticism that comes from the type of life we're living, I don't want to be seen as an old fuddy-duddy. I don't want to be seen as a stick in the mud. So I'm going to cooperate. I'm going to, I'm going to do what the rest of the world is doing. Well, when you reach your goal, if you've got a goal at all, you're going to reach it in the mud. You're not going to stand above the crowd, which you should be. You're not going to get your head above the fog so that you can breathe fresh air. You're going to be down muddling around with all the other cheaters and dishonest individuals and people who don't care what they do or say. You're going to spout curses. Can you imagine Jesus on the cross cursing people for what they did? Something coming out of His mouth because He was discontent or somebody hurt him. He didn't do that. He didn't curse. He didn't complain. He didn't whimper. He didn't murmur. He went about his business above the standard of society. And that's what he expects us to do. What we're saying is we have an example in Jesus in what he did and the way he accomplished what God sent him to do. Don't lower your standard. Don't lower your standards of right and wrong in order to curry acceptance with the crowd. Keep your standards. Keep the standards that you read about in the Word of God. So that's the second point. Keep your eyes on the prize. Whatever it may be, but do it right. Keep your heart right with God. Keep your mind right with God. Keep your emotions right. And the third is don't quit. Oh, don't give up. Don't stop. Say, I've had it. It's not worth it. I'm through. I'm discouraged. I'm not going to go any further. Look at what all people have done to me. They've, they don't like me. I'm not popular anymore. Nobody calls me on the phone. Nobody comes by to see me. Of course, Bonnie and I stand at the front window looking out waiting for our kids to come see us (laughs) but that's just a joke we have (laughs) anyway the idea is you don't quit Jesus didn't quit so in your life you say well I've, I've had some disappointments well Jesus had some disappointments well everybody doesn't agree with me well everybody didn't agree with Jesus well, nobody, nobody believes what I believe. Nobody wants to do what I do. Nobody can, I can't get them to convince. I can't convince them. Well, Jesus didn't convince everybody either, did He? Keep on keeping on. Don't be discouraged. By the failures of others or by their criticism. Jesus did not whimper on the cross. He did not criticize other people while He was on the cross he did not grumble about his circumstances while he was on the cross he didn't complain one of the most discouraging jobs on earth I guess is customer complaint department come and listen sit down and let people come and tell you what what they don't like about your product well that if you can imagine how that feels Complaining about things helps nothing. And level out your outlook on life. Level it out. Jesus had a level outlook on life. Refuse to be tossed about. Paul said, don't be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. Don't let everything move you back and forth like you're swaying, a reed swaying in the wind. Be discouraged one day and on top of the world the next day. Don't allow yourself to be influenced by thoughtless people or by mindless elements. We can be discouraged sometimes because of what people say to us, say about us. We're discouraged. Why? Was Jesus discouraged because of what people said about him? They said, well, you're look what you're doing. We know you're doing some good stuff but you're doing this because the devil is letting you do it. He's the one helping you, Matthew 12. You're doing this by the power of Beelzebub. So Jesus said, well, I'll give that up. I won't do that anymore. No, he didn't. He continued on because he knew what he was doing was right. Now, we can't live in the euphoric clouds of the atmosphere one day and in the bottom of the mine shaft the next day. We cannot let the weather affect us. Can you imagine? Why would the weather affect your disposition? Complain about it? Criticize it? Grumble about it? Weather is weather. Did Jesus ever complain about the weather? Get up and say, man, it's hot today. Don't think I'll go teach anybody anything today. I'm sure it got hot. Oh, it's raining. We want, we want to, we're going to sit inside and sulk today. The weather should not affect us. I know sometimes people have problems emotionally because of a imbalance of chemicals in their body. But generally, normal individuals have no business complaining about weather because it's, weather is what it is. It is just what it is. You live in the Northwest, it's going to rain. So, talking about it doesn't drive the clouds away. So, we need to be leveled out. And don't give up and start grumbling and complaining about circumstances we have no control over. That's the, that's the issue with Jesus. He didn't do that. When he went to the cross, he, did, he uttered not one word of complaint or criticism. And he went the distance. Now what we're saying is, this is the third point, don't quit. Don't quit. If you've got a project you're trying to finish, finish it. But basically we're talking about finishing your life with God and don't walk away from God because you're not getting things done in your life that you think you ought to be doing. Do not quit on God ever. Don't quit on it. Quitters never win and winners never quit. Now that's a fact. That is a fact. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I stayed with it. Don't walk away from Jesus Christ because you're discouraged about something that you have no control over about what somebody said to you, somebody did to you. Look what happened. that That's why I mentioned Jesus. That's why I started this whole thing out with Jesus. Because I'm afraid as we grow older, where we may fall into that category of quitters, we may just say, I can't go any further. Somebody said something to me, and I just can't get over it. I can't get past it. Something happened in my life that just destroyed me. Don't quit. Stay with it. Finish the race just as strong as you started it. And then we can say, when it's all done, and we're standing at the lip of eternity, we can say, like Jesus did, it is finished it is finished God help you use him for your example